Our gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, and can be found on pages 835 in the Bibles we provide, and on page 264 of the children's Bibles. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. This is the Gospel of Christ. Our New Testament reading is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 11 through 21, and can be found on pages 966 in the Bibles we provide, and on page 288 of the Children's Bible. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that no one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made himself to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Our sermon text this morning is from the book of Exodus, chapter 3. Um, we're going to read 3 and most of 4. So 3, verse 1 through four seventeen. It's on page 46 in the Bibles we provide and page 28 in the children's Bible. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold... The bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals, off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because they're taskmasters. I know their suffering. 
and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I will also see the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people of, out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to this people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to you, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. They will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. And Moses, Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord God said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside the cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. They will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign. They may believe the latter sign. They will not believe either of these two signs or listen to your voice. You shall take some of the water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or sing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with you and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to say. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth. You shall be his guide to him. And take in your hand the staff, which also you will do these signs. This is the word of the Lord. Now I know what it's like when I make other people read really long passages. I'm like, whoo, it's a lot. If you're not aware of these last four weeks, what we've been doing is taking a look at what is the church. 
The first week, you know, three weeks ago, we said the church is not a preacher. It's not a building. It's God's people, God's chosen people for his purposes. So you are the church. And we said, now the church here at Cedar Springs is going to be different and unique, and it's going to be about certain things. So as we call you to be the church with us, we wanted you to have a clear picture of what that meant. So we said, let's look at our mission statement. Let's say what it says is to love God, to love one another, and to serve the world. So two weeks ago, we looked at loving God. We realized that loving God is not an emotion, but it's an action. It's a life lived for him. And it's a life that's marked by three things, worship and obedience and trust. That not only do we worship individually, but we worship corporately, that we gather together to encourage and help each other to see God in a new way. But then a part of that is obedience, that we not just know his word, that we live out and do his word. And we do all that because we trust him because we cling to him, because we believe he is better than us or anyone else or the entire world. And then last week, we talked about loving one another. One way that we love God is by loving one another, by caring for one another. And again, as we looked at that, we said, you know, love, again, it's an action. It's not an emotion. And part of what that needs to be for us is seeing each other differently, that we need to see each other as we interact on a Sunday morning as brothers and sisters, as family, and not just as random people. And that we have a part to play to care and encourage and love each other as family. And so we need each other. We need community. We need people who will speak into our lives and care for us in the hard times. But not only do we see each other differently, that we need to serve each other sacrificially. We have this beautiful picture of Jesus stooping down to wash his disciples' feet, even Judas's feet. That as we serve each other in love, that it is sacrificial, it is painful, it is hard. And to look at those places where we can serve each other and those outside these walls in a way that costs us something because it costs Christ so much to love and to serve us. And this morning we're going to talk about serving the world. What does it look like for us to be participants in God's great mission? And to do that, I think we need to take a quick snapshot run through the Bible. So this should be fun. I just want to give you a little picture of how you see God's heart working from the beginning until now. Starts with Adam and Eve in the garden. What did he do? He said he made them in God's image to reflect him. And then when sin enters the world and they no longer can reflect him perfectly, they gave the promise of a redeemer, of a savior who is to come. So their job is now changed from clear reflection to proclamation. Our job is now to tell other people about this savior. And then we find ourselves to Abraham, Abraham, who was chosen by God to be a father of many nations. What God says to him is, I'm going to bless you that you may be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That his eyes were not just on Abraham, not just on the chosen people, but the idea was to use his person as a blessing to all people. And he sends out Abraham as the first missionary, sending him from his home and his family to a land that they would inherit one day, strategically located in an important place in the ancient world where people would travel through all the time to hear about God's truth. We go from that to Moses, Moses and God's people in captivity. We'll talk a little more about that this morning, clearly. But as they're in this captivity in the most powerful nation of this time, and then God redeems them, pulls them out, rescues them, so that his power and his name begins to be proclaimed throughout the world. How do we know that? We find out when Joshua and the Israelites are outside Jericho, the people's hearts have melted because they say, here is the people and the God who defeated Egypt. His power has gone forth where other people know who this God is and who his people are. 
And then part of that is the law. He gives his people the law that they may be distinct and unique from the people around them, holy, undefiled. But part of that law tells them to love the sojourner and love the alien in your midst. Again, don't just love those like you, but love all that are around you, all that you can see and touch. And then it goes to the temple. They build this beautiful building, and now God has an address. God has a dwelling place. God has a people and a resting place where people can find him. And because he's a beacon, because he's a shining light on a hill, people from all nations begin to come to Jerusalem to learn about this God, which is why Jesus was so angry when the people defiled the temple and kept the court of the Gentiles full so people couldn't come in here and hear the truth of who God was. So then from the temple, we go to exile. That God's people, because of their disobedience, because of their idolatry, they were sent far away, sent far away to different lands. But while you see the stories of Daniel and Esther, what happens? Because of their faithfulness, nations are changed, leaders are changed, to the point that the most powerful man in the world, Nebuchadnezzar, says that no one can bow down to any God except for the God of Daniel. Again, God's name is going out. He is spreading his glorious kingdom to the ends of the earth. And that culminates in our Lord Jesus Christ, who came as the promised redeemer. And while on earth, not just had a ministry to the Jews, but to the outcasts, to the Greeks, to the Romans, to the Samaritans. And when he died, he died for the entire world that all may know. And we see once he's resurrected and the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, what happens to God's people? They're speaking all the languages of the people who've gathered that day that the gospel may go forth in people in their native languages, again, moving to the ends of the earth. And then to this day, which was the church. The church's call was to go and to proclaim the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that call has been handed to us, that the gospel is supposed to go to the very, very far reaches. And what we're told is once all people have heard, then the end will come. So you see the clear picture of God's heart, the way he loves not only his own, but all people, how he loves all nations and how from the very beginning, he's at a heart for his kingdom to be spread to the ends of the earth. So that leads us to our passage this morning. It's not a very typical missions passage when you're talking about missions, but the Lord just made it very clear to me as I was kind of studying it and reading it, how it's a picture of us as we have the opportunity to participate in missions. So three points for this morning, no surprise there. One, I want us to look at the purpose of missions. Two, I want us to look at the problem of missions. And three, I want us to look at the power of missions. So the purpose, the problem, and the power. First, the purpose of missions. And to understand that, you've got to see that God knows and sees all things. That God knew his people. He knew where Moses was going to be, which is why he showed up where he did. And he saw the affliction of his people. And it's one of those places in the Hebrew, it says he saw, saw, which is odd. It's just that language. But it's like he wanted to so make sure we got that he didn't just kind of sort of understand from afar, but he deeply understood. He saw, saw the afflictions of his people. He saw the pain and agony that they were going over. He saw all the things that happened. He had heard from his ears. He knew deeply their pain. And because of that, he wanted to send help. Now, God can go any which way he wants. He can do whatever he wants. He can intercede any way that he wants. 
The Bible tells us if we don't praise God, that the rocks and the trees will cry out. But the way that God most often intercedes in human history is through his people, through you and through me. The church is God's plan A for the salvation of the nations. So what he does, he chooses Moses and he sees him and goes, you know what? I have seen the affliction of my people and I'm sending you. I'm gonna free them from the hand of Pharaoh and I am sending you. And he gives us this idea of the purpose of mission. The purpose of mission is proclamation and help. He says, I've seen the affliction. I wanna send you to help them and I wanna send you to proclaim my name. I wanna give you my name that you can take with them. And missions is both of those things combined. It's not one or the other, but it's both. And oftentimes, if we lean too heavy on one or the other, we miss the true opportunity. Let's say that we just do the helping part. It's a beautiful charity to help people in need, but to only take care of their physical needs when there is a much greater spiritual need, we're missing out on what God has called us to do. But also if we're just those that proclaim without love and without help, James gives us a picture that you've got a needy person among you and you say, oh, I'll pray for you, go be well fed, but don't do anything for them, then it's folly. It reminds me when I, when I was on the UT campus as a college student, about once every month, there was this guy who stood out with a cross in his Bible. And all he did was yell curses on people. You're going to hell, you're terrible, awful people. I mean, they were just all these curses. And I remember as like a young Christian going, that doesn't work at all. Like you don't know us, you don't love us, you don't care for us, you're just proclaiming. And the idea for us is if that's all that we do is one or the other, we're missing what God's called us to do. It is a ministry of both helping and proclaiming. That we meet the physical and spiritual needs. And where it leads is worship. What does he say? Here's the sign to you that you people will worship at this mountain. John Piper's very, very famous missions quote. Missions exist because worship doesn't. That the end goal of us helping and proclaiming is for more people to worship the name of the one true and holy God. That is our call as his people. And that is the purpose for which we have been called. Now the second part, okay? So we've got the purpose and now the problem. The problem of missions is us. Sorry. God's great, amazing, wonderful plan is to use imperfect people to proclaim perfect truth. I don't like to question God. I think that's, you know, that's a way to get smote. But like, I just, this seems like an odd way to do things. And you see that there is this kind of feeling that Moses has. Moses realizes the problem of this with these excuses. First thing he goes, he goes, who am I to do this? He senses this unworthiness in himself because why? Moses had a past. Keep in mind, Moses adopted into Pharaoh's family, lived in the palace, saw the afflictions of his people, and then ends up interceding and killing an Egyptian, burying him in the sand, but is found out. And on penalty of death, left Egypt and had been in hiding for 40 years, leading a quiet life as a shepherd. Who am I to go? Aren't those the same excuses that you and I have? If people really knew me, if they really knew the depths of my heart and my soul, they knew my sin, they would never listen to me. They would never listen to what I have to say. I'm not worthy to do this. And the other part is we feel inadequate. So Moses was saying too, is like, what am I gonna say? What would I say to them? 
It's like, I am not, I'm not eloquent. I am slow of tongue. We have all these excuses that we're not good enough. And if we're honest, we think missions is for really super spiritual people who really understand things. We think it's for like pastors and missionaries. Guys, I have a rude awakening for you. Missions is for all of us. C.H. Spurgeon said it this way. He said, all Christians are either missionaries or imposters. So those are your two options. We are all called in to his mission. And we may not know enough, and that's okay. He will give us the words to say. We may not be enough. We may not have the gifts and skills you think it's necessary, but God uses us in the midst of that. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But we have to understand that God calls imperfect people and our excuses are never going to be enough to disqualify us from what God is doing. And the problem is for us, the very last thing he says to him, he says, Lord, send someone else to do it. After God has patiently talked Moses through all of his concerns and his issues, in the end, Moses just doesn't want to be bothered. Because the truth is to fulfill God's call will be very inconvenient to our lives and very difficult for each and every one of us. Our goal is for God to fit into this little hole that we've created in our life where he can have. When the truth is God wants him to be the center of our life and everything flows from it. It is an inconvenient thing to have a Spanish student in your home. It's an inconvenient thing to give up vacation time to go overseas. It is an inconvenient thing to give up time to go down to the inner city and help those in need. And yet God calls us all the same. It is not about your convenience. It's about my call in your heart and in your life. We all have a place to serve. We all have gifts that no one else has. You have been uniquely created. So your excuses about not being able to talk enough or know enough are invalid. Because what does God say? Who made you? Who made man's mouth? I made you. I'm sending you. And that gets us to the third part. What's the power? The power of missions is God himself. He says to Moses, I will be with you. My presence will be with you. Here's who I am. I am who I am. Another translation goes, I am always I am. He's like, I am the God of the present tense. I am the God that never changes. And I am the God who is with you. I am the God who created the heavens and the earth. And for you and for me, the God who of Moses is our God as well. And he, as he was with Moses, he is with us. And even more, because we have his Holy Spirit, that God is in us. We have his power, the power of Yahweh to go and live and proclaim in his name. He has given us this promise of his presence. But you know what else? He also says he's going to use you as you are. All your excuses, all your issues, all your problems, all the things that you think disqualify you from ministry are the very places God longs to use you most. What does he say to Paul? Paul asked for his thorn to be taken away. And Jesus' answer to him is, my power is made perfect in weakness. His power is made perfect in the weak places that we have. That's why he's given us this treasure in jars of clay that through the cracks, the light will shine through. It is in the very weakest places where God is most proclaimed. It is in your strengths where you proclaim yourself. 
He longs to use you as you are with what you have. He says, here's the sign that I'm going to show you. He says to Moses, what's in your hand? What do you have already? He doesn't say, Moses, to send you out, you've got to go on a quest to get a ring or a sword or something. Like, just what do you have? He says, a staff. Drop it on the ground. And the staff becomes a serpent. He picks it up. It becomes a staff. It's like, what else you got? A cloak. Put your hand inside your cloak. Pull it out. It looks like leprosy. Put it back in. It's healed. His signs were changed things, but very ordinary things that have been changed. And you may not have a changed staff. You may not have a changed hand, but you have a changed life that can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is your most powerful witness that others might believe that you were lost and now you're found, that you used to live after these things and now you live after the glory of God. He uses whatever is there, what you already have. You have everything you need to be a missionary for Jesus Christ right there. You lack nothing because you have him. But he also sends others with us he sends with Moses, he's going to send Aaron. He's like, okay, fine, you're, you're inadequate. I'll send Aaron as a, as a buddy. We think about Jesus when he sent out his disciples, he sent them two by two. What a great opportunity. If you're looking for a place for you to have community, one of the best places to do that is by serving. I can say that from firsthand experience. I was able to be blessed to go on mission trips of this church when I was in college with people of a wide variety of ages. And I still have relationships with those people to this day because of the shared experiences we had. I've heard of one of the women's circles who their entire purpose is to go serve people in the city. And they do it on a weekly basis. And it draws them into deep community together. And if that sounds scary or intimidating, I've got a great place to start. Children's ministry. The nursery and the children's ministry are always looking for people who are ready to help and to proclaim because we have kids and parents who need that. That's how I started in ministry was a kindergarten Sunday school teacher in this church because I didn't think I had anything to offer. But the more that I was around those little kids, the more I saw that God was at work in me as well as through me. And our goal for you as a church is we love you so much that we want you to use your gifts. And if you're not plugged in in a place where you're using your gifts, don't be surprised if we check up on you. That's not to make you feel bad or to make you feel guilty. It's to help love you well that God has given you gifts that he wants to use for his kingdom here in this campus, in this city and around the world. So we're going to reach out to you and see if we can help you find your place to serve. But also he does that for our good. He wanted to use Moses, not just for the good of Israel, but for the good of Moses. And he gives him this picture. This is what you should look like, Moses. You should look like this burning bush. You look so different than what anyone would expect that people want to get drawn into you. Your lives as Christians, my life as a Christian should look so different that people want to come and see and check it out for themselves. And that's why in the end, why God gets so frustrated at Moses and his anger is kindled when Moses continues to make excuses because he longs to work in Moses. And think about the Moses we see at the end. The same Moses who had excuses was the same Moses who led them through the Red Sea, who stood with God face to face and received the law. 
It's a different guy because he saw God's love and work through him. If you find your faith cold and stale this morning, let me encourage you to find a place to serve. Because as you see God work in and through you in amazing ways, it encourages our faith and our love for him. Go on a short-term missions trip and see what God does. Go downtown and get involved at one of our ministries and see what God does. Come be a part of VBS and see what God does. Because the places where God has encouraged my heart the most are moments like that when I obeyed his call to encourage me in the ways that he was working in and through me for his glory. And what's so unique about this opportunity now and this day is we are around at a time when it's like nothing else because the nations have come to us. God had sent us out to the nations. He said, go to the nations. Now he's brought them here. Let me give you an example. Pierce alluded to it. Currently on UT's campus, there's 1,221 international students from 78 different countries. The three most populous, China, India, and Saudi Arabia, places where it is so hard for the gospel to penetrate, but we have the opportunity to build relationships with a student that they may go back to try to change their country. And I've seen it firsthand. When I was in Memphis, there was a student who came around from Indonesia. His name was Tazar. He was a tennis player on a tennis scholarship to Tulane. While he's at Tulane, Hurricane Katrina comes and wipes out New Orleans, and he's got to find a new college. He transfers the University of Memphis where he was befriended by a campus ministry staff person who just got to know him, to learn his story, to spend time with him. As he continued to help him find a place to live as he's at this new university and trying to find a, a new culture, he also proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ and Tazar was saved. And Tazar came on staff with the campus ministry and then said, I have a heart to go back to Indonesia because it is the most populous Muslim country in the world. And so he went to seminary and he currently right now has planted a vibrant and growing church in Indonesia. He is going to change Indonesia by the gospel of Jesus Christ because he was here and was exposed himself. We have an opportunity to change the world right here. We also have this unique ministry at the church. If you don't know about our refugee ministry, get some information, please. The city of Knoxville has gotten over 1,000 refugees in the last seven years, 250 last year, 150 this year, and Almaz gets it together where people from this church help the most needy folks among us. They show up in this country with very little possessions, no understanding of culture, very little understanding of the language needy in need of help and people of this church love them and care for them and help them for the opportunity to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. The nations have come to us. So find that spot where you can use the gift that God has given you. And for some of you are saying, Andrew, I've not had my burning bush moment. God hasn't called me into this life or into this ministry. I would say, yes, he has. When you accept and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, he's given you a new affection. And it's an affection for his heart, an affection for his world, that we are to go as his ambassadors, as his witnesses, as his disciples. That we may change the world one life at a time. And the beauty of that is we have a picture from Revelation that one day, that we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we will participate 
in worship and we will hear from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. They will all be represented there praising God. And you and I have a part to play in that. He longs to use his people to proclaim his truth to those who need it most. We have the opportunity to help and to proclaim to those who are devoid of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we can go. And we do that because he's loved us. We don't do that to earn some kind of favor from him. We do it because of his care and concern. And that's why we get to celebrate the table as a reminder of who he's called us to be, that we get to partake of his body and his blood, that we may then go be his people wherever we go, remembering his gospel, his care, and his love for us as we go to serve the world.